Uh, here in just a minute, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians. If you want to find your place here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, let me mention a few prayer requests, and uh, then we'll, we'll have a word of prayer and get to our text here this evening. Um, let's pray for these. Miss jo- Joyce Owen uh, certainly needs our prayer as she's undergoing some health uh, challenges, so pray for Miss Joyce, and then Robert and Betty Garland. And uh, Brother Fred Aquin, uh, dealing with some pneumonia. And then I understand that little Johnny and, and Jude Steele are in the hospital, so pray for them. This will be John and Rebecca Steele's little boys. And so let's pray for these little ones here. And then, of course, the Trembles, as they're getting ready uh, to go to, uh, back to the Philippines, they'll leave Friday, I'm sorry, Tuesday for Dallas and stay there that night and then leave out on Wednesday. So let's pray for them. If you would, and then uh, Brother David Merlo is going to be preaching on Wednesday night and look forward to hearing from him. It's a blessing seeing little Sarah up here uh, singing and God having answered prayer in her life. And so that's remarkable after her surgery. So we just, we got a lot to thank God for. Amen. So sure appreciate uh, all God's good work there. Um, then also uh, the renovation of the gym uh, kitchen begins this, uh, this Monday into Tuesday, Wednesday. If you have some time, See, Brother Seth Bailey, Brother Javi uh, Duque especially will be in the foyer. Brother Seth, is that right? Brother Seth has a meeting up on third floor. Um, and so anyways, there are opportunity for you to help with that endeavor. So Brother Javi will be in the north foyer after service. Okay, let's stand in honor of God's word tonight. We'll read and then we'll have a word of prayer. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 5. This is in our Bible reading. really stood out to me a certain part of it. And I want to preach on that here tonight. It took a little bit of a different approach than what I was planning on. And um, in fact, even just in light of the, uh, the children's program, I want to try to draw out a little bit there. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 14. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Verse 15 is really what caught my attention initially. It says, and that he died, notice what it says, for all. Well, what does that mean? Just that. He died for all. For all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Amen. It's a blessing to preach this morning on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 16, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18 and 19 in particular. I'd like to draw your attention to that tonight. I think it'll be a great help to each and every one of us. And all things are of God who hath what? What's next? Reconciled us. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So he has reconciled us And having been reconciled, then we are part of that ministry of reconciliation. He explains in verse 19, to wit or to know 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word or the message of reconciliation. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And then this was a blessing as the kids quoted this verse. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him. So Father, I thank you tonight for this wonderful privilege we have to open up your word and to preach about reconciliation. And so Lord, I pray that you'd help. There may be someone here that you've paid the price for them. You made the means by which they could be reconciled to you. I pray that they would submit to that. I pray that they would trust you as their savior. And for all that are saved, God, would you help us to understand our role as ministers, as Paul says here, of reconciliation. I want to pause to thank you for the children. Uh, they were a real blessing to us here tonight. I thank you for the moms and dads. I pray you give them grace in raising them uh, for your honor and glory. Lord, I um, also want to pray for those on our prayer list that you'd help them, especially little Johnny and Jude, as we think about our, the little ones of our church here tonight. And uh, just pray for them and, uh, Lord, that you'd, you'd help them along and, and others, too, of, of those on our prayer list. God, help those that are recovering and give them great encouragement this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Going to include this as part of our series, Stand in Awe of Him. We've had, uh, this is sermon number 19, and God willing, next uh, Sunday, We'll just spend the whole day standing in awe of his creation, of his in, incarnation, that is, his, his, the fact that God became man. Uh, that's, that really is the wonder of this season that we're celebrating, is that God uh, became man. And so I'm calling tonight's message just simply this, God and sinners reconciled. Does that sound familiar? I think we just heard the kids uh, sing that. God and sinners Reconciled, but pause to consider the significance of that. God and sinners reconciled. Um, <clears throat> one thing I truly enjoy about this season is actually the opportunity to sing some of these hymns. We only sing uh, maybe at this time of the year, although there are some song leaders I hear in the adult Sunday school classes that'll just pull out a Christmas song right in July and sing it. And that's, that's all right. Some do that. But uh, anyways, I love these songs. I love the theological truth of the songs. But I would imagine that you'd agree with this, that it's easy to sing some of these songs without thinking about the words or without understanding some of the words. Um, because uh, these, these hymns uh, that we sing, the Christmas carols um, that we sing, truly do have great Bible truth to them. All designed to help us stand in all of the fact that God became man. It's amazing to me that the world often sings these carols or symphonies play these carols, these Christmas hymns without realizing what they mean 
Maybe even without realizing that they're giving out the gospel as they do. So I think about in particular the song, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. As it says, God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power. When we were gone astray, oh tidings of comfort and joy. Most of the world sings that and has no idea what they're singing. Reading 2 Corinthians 5 this week with our Bible reading, I came across chapter 5 and how that we're reconciled to God. So I did. I thought about uh, Charles Wesley's hymn uh, that the, the patch, I believe, just sang a moment ago as a medley. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing. I didn't know much about the background, so I looked it up. And actually, Charles Wesley had been saved about a year when he wrote this song. So salvation was fresh on his heart and mind as he wrote the words, Hark or behold, uh, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, earth and mercy mild. And here's a phrase, God and sinners reconciled. Now, if I, if I remember that Josiah just made the sign, so reconciliation is this, is that right? Coming up. So God is here and he reconciles us unto himself. Okay, it's not that God has to be reconciled to us, but we as the offending party need desperately to be reconciled to God. It's only a few of the signs I know in sign language, but I love the beauty of, of signing and, and uh, maybe some of you watched even during the cantata and and it's a beautiful um, presentation that way. But God and sinners reconciled. Then Charles Wesley went on to write, Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. One man commented on the song and said, the fo focus of the first verse is, is on Jesus, the king who comes to restore, listen to this, our broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with God. And he goes on to say this. I, I think I just found it helpful. I thought it might help us a little bit as we get started here tonight. Things have gone terribly wrong. We've turned from God and we've turned from his ways. We've sinned against God. In fact, he went on to say, we don't want God. Talking about the lost state of man. Are, are you following me right here? Man apart from God. Man without salvation. We're at enmity. The Bible word is Romans 8. Maybe you just read Romans 8 um, here within the last couple of days as well. That, that what the flesh could not do and that it was weak. Uh, what, what we could not do that we're weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, he came for us that we might be reconciled. Because our carnal mind, that mind, the sinful nature that we have is at enmity with God. Man apart from God doesn't want God. At war with God. We don't want his ways. We ignore him. We pretend he doesn't exist. I'm talking about man apart from salvation. We want to be our own gods. We're estranged, alienated from God because of our evil 
ways. And thus, I think it's good for us to be reminded we needed to be reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. What an amazing truth that Jesus came to do just that, to reconcile us unto God. Now, this word reconcile, we need to do a little bit of work on that, just to make sure we understand what it means. It denotes a change, denotes a change, um, an exchange. Um, maybe you uh, reconcile your accounts, or you, you should, right? Reconcile, making sure that it's matching up, maybe making some adjustments or changes there. But in this sense, in the Bible sense, the word right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it is a change, and here's the change. It's a change from enmity with God to friendship with God. Whereas we are naturally at war with God, how do you get to become friends with God? Well, obviously God must accomplish that because we're at war with God. Um, he exercises grace towards us as sinful men. And the basis of all this, we're, we're getting to it, is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I, I've got to tell you, church, I have so enjoyed preaching about the cross on these Sunday mornings. Uh, it's just been rewarding and it's, it's really just uh, been a blessing to get to preach about the cross. And it, it's caused me when I come to sing some of these songs that we can just kind of sing through them and not think about it. It's caused me to stop and think he did that to reconcile us to himself, to reconcile us to God. So it means to, it means this, it means to restore relationship that is broken. It means to change again from, I'm, I'm just reading a few de definitions that basically said all the same thing, to go from enmity to friendship, to reestablish a relationship that is disrupted. Well, what is it tonight that disrupts our relationship with God? Sin. Sin disrupts our relationship with God. I like this simple definition. It means this. It means this, to make things good again. Make things good again. And, and I'm saying to you, what I know you already know, God never sinned in his relationship towards us. We disrupted that relationship. It might help you think about reconciliation. Maybe you think about a husband and a wife that needs to be reconciled. I read about a couple that came to see Warren Wiersbe and, and the gentleman said this, my wife and I are having some marital problems. We need recancellation. <laughs> <laughs> now, now what he meant is we need reconciliation, but he said we need recancellation. Well, I'm not sure what all that would mean, but husband and wife, right? You get something wrong between you. And you want that relationship to be right. Uh, but when there's something between you, it, it need, you need to be reconciled. Reconciled. A parent and a child that's sometimes a strained relationship that can come between a parent and a child. Maybe it's between friends. You know, uh, I read about um, one uh, British uh, gentleman named Frederick Lonsdale, who was an actor and he was at odds with a friend named named, um, let's see if I can find his, his name here, um, um, 
Well, he's got a friend <laughs> that he wasn't getting along with. And I can't see his name right now. Anyways, and so one friend went to him and said, hey, it's not right that you would just be in such a disarray with your friend. It's, it's New Year's Eve. You ought to at least be right with him on this New Year's Eve and go wish him a happy New Year. So Mr. Lonsdale went over to his once friend who he had a strained relationship with and he said to him, happy New Year, but just one. Just one. Strained relationship. It may be between a boss and an employee. It may be between fellow employees. It may be between a pastor and a church member. It may be between church members. It may be between family members. That reconciliation is needed. But we're talking tonight about this. The reconciliation that is needed between God and man. It's interesting, this, ver this word reconciliation is only used six times in the New Testament. Three of those times is in our text. Uh, right here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. It's used also in Romans chapter 5 that... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It talks about a reconciliation between a husband and a wife in 1 Corinthians 7. So it is used in human relationships. <clears throat> the noun, so that's the verb. The noun is used four times. And it's talked also about recon reconciling or the reconciliation. And it's used four times in the New Testament. This particular word uh, there's another word that's related to it, but this particular word is used four times, and two of those times is right here in 2 Corinthians in chapter number five. A stronger word that's related to it, as I mentioned, is used in Ephesians 2 and verse number 16. Let me read that as it says this, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, listen to this, by the cross. That's the only hope that we had to be reconciled to God is by the cross, having slain the enmity or the the fact that we were at odds with God, he slain the enmity thereby. Colossians chapter one, a sister passage to that says this, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, by Jesus, listen to this, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in heaven, in earth or things in heaven, and you, listen, he goes on to say, use the same verb again, he says this, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. My soul. How about that? That at one time, all of us were alienated from God, enemies of God in our minds by our wicked works, yet now. Well, I'm thankful for those yet now moments in the Bible, aren't you? Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What a blessing. That there we were at odds with God and yet God reconciled us unto himself. Now, I'll be honest, at age eight when I was saved, I didn't understand. I don't think I knew the word reconciliation. Definitely couldn't spell it, right? 
I, I didn't understand that word. And I actually, I just heard uh, Brother Sam preach this week as I'm listening a little bit more to Second Samuel series. And, and uh, he was giving his testimony about being saved at age six. I'm thankful. We just had children up here. Some of them are not saved yet. Some are saved. I'm thankful tonight that the gospel is so simple that a child can understand and understand what it means that, that they have sinned and that God is holy. And yet God still loves us and sent his son to die in our place. And that if they just simply trust him as their savior, they too can be saved. Amen. Brother Sam said, I got saved at age six and, and uh, I was there in the church service, he said, and, and the preacher was preaching. And he said, I don't, I don't understand all that he was preaching, but I understood I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. And he said, you know, he was, maybe he was talking about uh, righteousness and justification by faith, but I wouldn't understand that at age six. But that's really what it comes down to is that there is a need. Listen to this very carefully. There might be somebody here tonight that if you stood before God, you wouldn't stand in righteousness or you'd stand in self-righteousness, which the Bible declares to be as filthy rags. Righteousness matters to God. The only way you can go to heaven is through righteousness. But the Bible says there's not, listen to this, there's none righteous, no, not one. Righteousness matters with God. So how then can we be righteous? Listen to this. Justification by faith. Justified. Reconciliable. Oh, there's some good terms right here. Hey, we need to use these Bible terms. Reconciliation means that there was a battle going between us towards God. We were at odds with God. We didn't want God. We wanted our own sinful ways. And yet we realized at some point that we desperately needed God and that he sent his son to reconcile us unto himself. We'll get to that in just a moment. And then we understood that the only way that I could be made right with God is through justification, which is a legal term, meaning this, God declares me righteous and treats me that way. God declares you righteous and treats you that way, but not on the basis of your own righteousness. It is righteousness, justification. All these terms actually are interconnected. Righteousness, justification by faith. By faith alone. That's the only way we can be reconciled to God. That's why verse 18 is in the Bible. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, I, I, he's kind of given a big perspective here. Can I, can I get into the context of 2 Corinthians? Because what he's dealing with is that there were some people that came into the church and drew some people away. You know what? It is Satan's goal to get people out of Bible preaching churches. Just like Southwest Baptist Church would love to get you or your kids, your family out of church and, and draw them away. And that's what was going on. And, and so Paul is basically giving his approach to life and his approach to ministry. And in chapter number four, he talks about things that are eternal because things that are eternal are those which matter most. And that's really the context of this as he starts in chapter four and he says, you know, we, we have this treasure talking about the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels he's referring to himself as nothing special. Hey, can I just remind you tonight, you and I, we are nothing special. And yet God loves us. Now that makes you special because of God's love. Please don't misunderstand me here. But there's really nothing special about us. We're just earthen vessels that get to carry the gospel. 
It's a blessing. Yeah. We, we sometimes think too highly of ourselves. Those, those ones that came in to, to draw people away, they were thinking too highly of themselves. They made a show and, and tried to make Paul look bad and make themselves look good. You know, we, we, can, we can use some words to make ourselves look good. I could tell you things like this. You know, I went on a run last night and I passed three cars. They were parked, but nonetheless, I passed them, right? You see, context matters. We can make ourselves uh, more than really we are. And, that, and that's what was going on here in Corinth. They were drawing them away. And so Paul is giving, I, I just need to give a little bit of the context here, that he's giving the, the, his approach to ministry. And he's saying, listen, I'm giving attention to things that are eternal because those things matter. And we have this, this treasure in earthen vessels. And if this earthly tabernacle that we, are, that we live in, this body, he compared it by his body to a tent. Now I like camping out in a tent about half the night. But by the other half, I'm ready to go back inside. Anybody else with me right here? I have never had, some of you are gonna disagree with this and that's totally fine. I've never had a good night's sleep in a tent, never. Just never, never. Right. Paul says, hey, we live in this earthen tent. But there is a tabernacle. There is a house made without hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, he's saying this old body, it gets wore down, broke down. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when I'm going to be absent from this body and ever present with the Lord. That's chapter five and verse number eight. And, and so he says, because of this, we labor, we strive, we want to please God. Look at, look at chapter five, if you would, please join me there and, and look at verse number 10, just to help us see what, why he's dealing with reconciliation in, uh, in chapter five. He says in verse number 10, he says, uh, for we must all, I want to remind everybody here tonight, you're going to stand someday before Christ, either at the great white throne judgment where it's too late, or you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer to be rewarded and, and, or to suffer loss of reward. It's the most important day in your life. We're preparing now for that day. Now, if you're not saved, you need to trust him as your savior tonight. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Knowing therefore, look at verse number 11, there, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that doesn't mean the terrorizing effect that God has, but it's, the idea is this, the fear of the Lord, the awe of God, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord that we ought to have, we persuade men. Based on who he is, we persuade men, he says, um, and we're made manifest to God. There's a little bit more detail here than what we're going to go into the night for the sake of time. In verse 12 and 13, he's saying, listen, we, we do what we do to honor and please God. We're not trying to get accolades to ourselves because we've been given a certain ministry. Look at verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ. What, what does that mean? Is it our love for Christ or is it Christ's love for us. I believe in the context, it's Christ's love for us. We ought to love him in return, but ultimately it's his love for us. Paul's saying it's his love for me that as he uses the word here constrains. The word is used in Acts chapter 18 and verse five, how that Paul was pressed in the spirit. He had to say something. Um, 
we would say this, he was driven, propelled, compelled. Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. It, it propels me. Hang on. It drives me. Can I ask you tonight, uh, members of Southwest Baptist Church here, what drives you? you know, I think that's good for us to consider. It ought to be the love of Christ that's been shown to us. That's what ought to drive us to do what we do. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge, he says in verse, in verse number uh, 14, if, if one died for all, then we're all dead. And I love verse 15, and that he died for all. I can say to everyone here this evening, he died for you. He died in your place. You cannot take the gospel to a wrong address. He died for every single individual. He died for all. Notice this in verse 15, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Hey, listen, Jesus unselfishly gave his life for you. Why would you unselfishly live your life for yourself? Paul's saying, I, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for him who died for me. That's what verse 15 is all about and rose again. Okay, now verse number 16, he talks about how that salvation, verse 16 and 17 really is just basically saying this, salvation makes everything different. He died for all. I, I wanna tell you tonight, he died for the heroin addict. He died for the harlots. He died for the CEOs. He died for the professionals. He died, he died for the rich. He died for the poor. He died for the little boy that went home today or sent home today. If we had one sent home, is it Sunday? Yeah, we probably had one sent home today. He died for that little guy. It caused such trouble in Sunday school and church. We're going to try to get him back because he needs to know that God died in his place, that he might be reconciled to him. He died for them. That's why we run buses. That's why we have classes. That's why these missionaries, that's why the, the, the Trimbles are getting ready to go back to the Philippines is because he died for all. Not that we should live for ourselves. It ought to be different. And look at verse number 18. He says, and all things are of God. You know what he's saying right there? Hey, we didn't start this with God. We, didn't, we were not the ones that took initiative to seek God. No, friend, listen. He took initiative to seek you. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, wait a minute. Let me, let me reason with you just a minute here. That he died for all does not mean that all are automatically saved. Therefore, we have the ministry of reconciliation going out and telling people, I know that you're at odds with God, but he still loves you. You see, we wouldn't have the ministry of reconciliation if his death took care of everybody just being automatically right with God, but that's not the case. They've got to hear the gospel. You needed to hear the gospel to be saved. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I can tell you he died for you on that cross, not for his sins. He had none. He died for yours, was buried and rose again and is able to save you without any, any help from you. All you got to do is just accept the free gift of salvation. But, but here's, here's Paul's point. All things are of God who's reconciled us unto himself and, and notice what it says in verse number 19. We'll come back to the last part of verse 18 in just a moment, but look at verse 19, if you would, please. To wit or to know, to consider, notice this, that God was in Christ. The idea is it was through Jesus Christ 
that reconciliation took place. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Okay, do you feel the shift? Okay, watch this. Those who have become the recipients of reconciliation are now the representatives of that message of, re of reconciliation. Able to go out into all the world and say, hey, listen, I was, I was a sinner sinning against God and yet he loved me and Jesus died for me and I trusted him as my savior. And listen, he changed my life and he can change yours too. Amen. That's the ministry. That's the work. That's the eternal work. That's the most important work that you and I have to do on this earth. Those things are eternal. The gifts you're going to buy at this season are not eternal. They may be priced like they are, but they are not. But your soul is eternal. The souls that live right here in Oklahoma City are eternal. The souls that live around this globe are eternal souls. They're souls for whom Jesus died. And they need to know that he came to reconcile them unto himself. And there's no hope of, of being at peace with God without that reconciliation. And so that's why Paul says, we're ambassadors. An ambassador goes to another country to represent that country. There are two types of, of, of countries where a Roman ambassador would go. One would be to one where there was peace already between them and Rome. The other would be where there was no peace between them and Rome. Paul's use of the word has to do with that second one, that we are ambassadors of Christ to go to others where there is no peace with God. And we go in Christ's stead to say, like it says here, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. You, you know what we're saying when we knock doors? Be reconciled to God. When we have a cantata, we're saying, hey, he came to reconcile you. Be ye reconciled to God. We're saying to you tonight, if you're here without Christ as your Savior, we're saying to you, be reconciled to God, not through your own works, but what he has already done. Trust him as your Savior. And the war ends because you submit to him. It's not that he doesn't want to save you. It's that sometimes people don't want to be saved. And you and I that are reconciled unto him, we ought to be the best representatives of our Savior. Remember, I'm here as his ambassador. Hey, by the way, that's not just for preachers. That's for church members. That's for anybody that's been saved. I'm here to represent him and to reconcile others unto him, to, to preach to them the message of reconciliation. I've been thinking a lot about Pearl Harbor here this, this past week. I don't know about you, but this being the 82nd anniversary of it. My brother-in-law, uh, Andrew, sent an article that I read um, about the Japanese pilot that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. Later learned of the testimony of Jacob de Schaefer and another lady named Peggy as a POW. He was so touched. This is the man that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. Later heard of their love for the enemies, them as enemy, heard the gospel, trusted Christ as his savior, and went out, was called to preach as an evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read about his account. There's a book about his life now. You know what that is? That's a one-time enemy 
who is now a friend of Christ preaching the gospel. Well, what were you before you were saved? An enemy of God. No, that's what the Bible says, friend. We were enemies with God and yet he loved us and was willing to forgive us and save us. We heard the message of forgiveness and of love. Hey, that ought to change our lives so that we go everywhere sharing the message that Jesus saves. What a transformation. Let's stand together here tonight. <clears throat> God and sinners. God and sinners reconciled. Couldn't get past the thought. To wit, that God, to think, to consider that God was in Christ reconciling us unto himself. I'd like to ask you with every head bowed and eye closed, how many of you could say, I, I heard that message of salvation. I trusted him as my savior. Would you raise your hand if that's you tonight? Praise God. What a blessing. The ministry of reconciliation reached you. The message did. Is there anyone here tonight with every head bowed and eye closed? I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, I'm not saved. If I died tonight, I don't have that peace that you're talking about. I'm not at peace with God. I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven, but I certainly am concerned about it. Is that you tonight? Would you just raise your hand if there's someone like that? Preacher, I, I'll be honest. I don't know that for sure. I'm going to try to look around here just a moment on the ground floor. Is anybody here that say, pray for me? I don't know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, but I am concerned about that. I'm looking around up in the balcony now. Anybody like that? I'm not seeing any hands, but we're going to have an invitation. But I, and I just want to extend the opportunity. If you don't know him as your Savior, oh, tonight, our prayer would be that you'd come to know him. God was in Christ reconciling you unto himself. That means you can have a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. Those of you that raised your hand a moment ago saying you are saved, let me ask you this. What kind of a representative have you been of him? Uh, you can be saved and still have strife between you and God. And it's not God, it's you. And I'm not saying you lose your salvation. Of course, you can't do that. But you can have a loss of fellowship. And wouldn't represent him right. And I thank God that he still yet loves us and is willing to forgive us of our waywardness. And to draw us back into himself. If you need to come to the altar tonight, I encourage you to do so as well. We're going to sing page 258. Lord, I pray that you'd help in tonight's invitation. If you, you spoke to hearts, those that maybe I overlooked that are not saved, I certainly pray for them that they might trust you. I thank you for the work of reconciliation that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary that as sinners we might be saved, forgiven, completely pardoned, lives changed. God, help us to be grateful and thankful. Lord, help us to have that heart that Paul had for things eternal. And Lord, to see our lives as being that about reconciling or seeing, having that ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. God, help us to get the message out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.